Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome to the Hidden Yardage Podcast. I'm Mark Lane. You can find me on Twitter at the Real Mark Lane. Sean Martin, as always, joins me. You can find him on Twitter at Sean Martin. So, I mean, at Sean Martin NFL. So, Sean, I mean, here we are. Uh, the NFL owners' meetings concluded last week, and uh, you know, we get a little more nuggets to uh, enjoy the little morsels of information as the NFL draft is at the end of this month. Yeah, go ahead and press that follow button on Twitter, and by the end of the episode, we are going to do our best to make sure that you're still following along because we are dedicating this entire episode to comparing the 2022 and 2023 Dallas Cowboys to all of Taylor Swift's set list from AT&T Stadium the past two nights. Yeah, I, I could <laughs> definitely go for that, yes. Hey, by all accounts, it seemed like, uh, you know, certainly not my type of music, but any artist that's able to bring that many people together and, you know, create that type of atmosphere and where they change one of the street names outside the stadium to her name and all that. Any artist that can bring people together like that, certainly cool to see. So by all accounts, including from my very own Justin Navarez, who was at both nights, um, seemed like an awesome time up there in Dallas. So to all who were able to enjoy that, uh, you know, a great start to what's going to be probably one of the top selling tours of the entire summer. And if not, you know, of all time, uh, you know, in recent pop music history. So definitely two great nights from all accounts from Taylor Swift up there in, in Arlington. Yeah, for sure. And so, you know, Taylor Swift, she was there at the site of the 2018 NFL draft site of the 2023 NFL draft is Kansas city where the Cowboys have the 26th overall pick. But what I wonder about the Cowboys, even if they go with a running back, which a lot of people would hate, or a receiver at 26 overall, is do you think that this offense is going to have another slow start this season? And I, I just want to get your take on that first, Sean. Yeah, I actually think they're going to get off to a pretty good start. You know, I think when Kellen Moore's offenses were at its best and we know kind of what the target strike zone for when Kellen Moore's offense was at its best, it was, you know, early in the season at times, maybe not right out of the gates like you're alluding to, but it was that mid-season stretch when he really had things dialed in. And the biggest piece of that is always going to be the quarterback. And specifically here, it's the way Dak Prescott was just able to really stay ahead of defenses by finding completions in this offense. And that's probably the best thing you can say about the relationship that Kellen Moore and Dak Prescott had was that there was just a complete understanding of what was expected in the scheme. And Prescott really elevated it to know, you know, where, where the answers were in any given play Oh, protections breaking down. Okay. Here's my check down or protections holding up. Okay. Here's where I can take a shot to see the I am or just knowing where all those answers were in the offense really 
you know, kept him a step ahead of the defense and had it humming and moving down the field. And then we know by the end of the year, a lot of the times, unfortunately, it would get kind of figured out and defenses were then a step ahead. And you didn't have those answers to be able to consistently play the way that you needed to play. And that you know you were capable of playing, which is probably the most frustrating part, is that we saw, you know, glimpses of greatness. And then why couldn't they find that in the playoffs? Whether or not Mike McCarthy and Brian Schottenheimer are the answer to having an offense that can win games in the playoffs, I'm sure I don't know. But I think they're going to get out of the gates pretty fast just because of the way that Prescott, I think, is going to quickly, you know, be able to do the same thing. I think McCarthy's West Coast influence is going to give him those same types of easy completions and check downs and more passing routes out there for Tony Pollard. And I think these tight ends are going to prove a lot when it comes to Jake Ferguson, Peyton Hendershot, and, you know, Michael Gallup being able to get over the middle of the field more and not running routes where the, def- you know, where the defenders are pretty much draped all over his back because it's a lot of stop routes and coming back to the ball, those types of things. So, yeah, I think this offense is going to be able to find a lot of ways to be creative early in the year, and Prescott's going to be getting the ball out of his hands, but they're going to run into some very familiar and similar questions on if that type of play is sustainable. But, yeah, right out of the gates, I think it'll be some pretty positive reviews on the influence that McCarthy has had because I just think Prescott is – at that stage of his career where he can grasp this thing quickly and be able to find completions all over the field. Here's why I wonder about the fast starts with this particular offense is because McCarthy at the NFC coaches breakfast on the March the 28th, he said that the only language changes that they would have would be relative to the new things and that they have been sensitive to how things were called before. So it's at what level, what's the volume of new material that's going to be added to the offense, which you presume there's going to be. Otherwise, why did Kellen Moore, why'd you have a mutual decision to part ways with Kellen Moore if you weren't going to have Mike McCarthy bring in some new stuff, you know, to have maybe a little different take on it. So it's that aspect of it, of just the language change to the to new elements to the offense that gets added and how they blend that with the existing language with some of the existing plays. Now, what helps, though is that Brian Schottenheimer, he coached in the digit system, which is what the Cowboys use, and he has his own playbook, which is kind of a combination of both. But, you know, it's just that added little element that has me wondering if the Cowboys would have just a typical September hiccup to their offense. It's going to be interesting to see, you know, I mentioned all the struggles of, you know, once Kellen Moore's offense is playing well, we all kind of, you know, hesitated a little bit. It's like you want to just enjoy the moment of, okay, they are playing well, so at least we know, you know, they're capable of it. But then we just got so used to those light season stretches where it got figured out and they didn't have that counterpunch, you know, that next chess move, if you will. Since they didn't have that and they consistently proved that they didn't have that just about as consistently as they proved that they could play well that you just kind of expected those things to go hand in hand and, you know, we waited for it to happen and then it did. So now it's going to be really interesting to see, you know, if McCarthy's offense 
starts out fast, like I think they they can be capable of. You know, can we see those inklings of being prepared in a way where that's not going to happen in the same type of outcome? You know, are they going to be able to sow different things throughout the season where if Prescott shows he's behind, you know, learning the new language and the receivers are behind, and then that's an easy area to say, oh, well, we have room to grow. It'll click later, and that's how you can make up for you know needing to sustain over a 17-game season and the playoffs, which has proved difficult. But if they do start out, you know, understanding the language, because you hear veteran coaches and players say it all the time, you know, everybody in this league pretty much runs the same stuff. It's just a matter of how you call it and what you call it. But, you know, whether it's a slant or a dig, you know, you're all running the same things. You just call it different things. So if you're all on the same page with what's being called and they do have that firing, then, you know, McCarthy is going to be saying, well, Kellen Moore is not here anymore, but I'm facing the exact same question on, you know, how sustainable is this type of kind of quick passing game and, we don't know exactly what the run game is going to look like. So there's definitely some concern in the same ways that we had with Kellen Moore on if McCarthy's offense is really going to, you know, pass the test of time and be ready to go. And that's regardless of if they show out well in the beginning of the season or not. So those early season games really just going to be more of like an extension of the preseason, which is how good teams kind of look at it anyway. But it really could be the case where you're really just trying to see which concepts are your core concepts or which things need to, you know, be thrown out of the playbook entirely. Those are the types of things we could all look at when it comes to, you know, maybe Cavante Turpin has more of a role as your jet sweep gadget guy, or, you know, maybe CDI is able to finally get more snaps out of the slot, or Tony Pollard's gonna line up in the slot, and you know, all these different things you can consider. It's just so much easier now with McCarthy in year one as the play caller to get those things out of the way early in the year. And so that would be the hope for the offense to be sustainable then later in the year because you've got kind of those gimmicks and those growing pains out of the way in September and October. And I think that Dallas benefits from having such a dominant defense that they're able to make up some of the mistakes or tip the momentum um, if the Cowboys offense is struggling, which we saw last year. Oh, absolutely. I mean, this defense... You know, the offense could be its best friend in terms of every defense that forces as many turnovers as Dan Quinn's does. Wants to see the team put up points on the scoreboard and play from ahead. That's the easiest way to go get turnovers is, you know, when the opposing quarterback is feeling the pressure, being down 14, 21 points. But even when they're not, you know, they prove beyond any doubt that they can stand on their head and just be a stout defense anyway. Of course, the run defense is a bit of their Achilles heel at times. And I know we'll talk about, you know, what they might do on the defensive line to, really continue to impress that issue. But yeah, this defense can absolutely take matters into its own hands, give the offense short fields. And, you know, we saw CDLA improve himself as a number one receiver. If you give this offense enough short fields, Lamb's going to make a big play. Pollard's going to break off a big run. Those things just feel inevitable at this point. And that's how you create easy points and give yourself a chance to win, you know, really any of these early or late season games, depending on what the blueprint is going to look like. Another thing floated around at the NFL owners' meetings last week, was the concept of, oh, having flex scheduling for Thursday night football. Hate it. You know, because uh, why not uh, just see if you can flex schedule <laughs> a, uh, a, a, you know, a shuttle launch up to the International Space <laughs> Station. You know, and just flex schedule everything. What Now, Dallas plays the Thanksgiving game. That kind of shields them, or has historically, from some of the Thursday night madness. But uh, do, could you ever envision a scenario 
where the Cowboys are subject to a Thursday night flex. Yeah, so I'm still kind of wrapping my head around exactly what this rule proposal is um, and you know all the intricacies of how dumb it may be. But basically, they're proposing, if I understand it correctly, that you know they can take any given Sunday game, Sunday afternoon game, that is, and then say, oh, we're going to play this on Thursday after you just played on the previous Sunday, expecting to have your normal Sunday to Sunday schedule and rest of you know the six to seven days there. So... Yeah, I could unfortunately see Dallas, you know, getting flexed in one of these games. The NFL pretty much time and time again knows that, you know, the one thing that they can hang their hat on worth billions of dollars of revenue is that fans are going to watch no matter when the game is or how it's played or any of these things. I mean, certainly the Thursday night production kind of put that all to the test. There were some kinks to work out and the game and the quality wasn't good and, you know, they pushed it to the limit in terms of just how much we're willing to tune in for, but the numbers were still there in terms of if there's football on TV any day of the week, the audience is going to be there. So the idea that you know maybe they would worry about the, the ratings one week of, oh, the audience is going to be there, but it's you know Jaguars, Titans, we could do better. And then you flex down the Cowboy game, and all of a sudden there's mystique, and there's a new schedule, and there's more storylines to talk about, and you got the fans all wired up and everything. So... Yeah, it's just a natural way and an artificial way, if you will, to you know create those storylines and really make changes to the season in a way that they can control. But yeah, if the eyeballs are going to be there anyway for a Thursday night game, I think you stick with the old rules. You put the schedule out ahead of time. You understand who Thursday night football is going to be. If it's a game you care about, great. If you don't, pretend it never happened type of thing. Roll, you know, roll into Sunday. Go end your week. Roll into Sunday like the rest of us fans do. And that's typically when we're used to watching the Cowboys play as opposed to only on Thanksgiving or Monday night. So those are the only ways that the Cowboys schedule should really be effective. But now there's just one more loop that they can get thrown through when it comes to being able to take a Sunday game with all millions of Cowboys fans expecting to tune in on Sunday like they always do and saying, oh, you're going to play Thursday instead. I definitely am not a fan of this. Well, they have been kind of immune to some of the other um, things that the NFL has done, such as... Uh, just the emphasis on the international games. And since the international games began in 2007, Dallas has played in just one. So they have been a little bit immune to some of the shenanigans from the league. Yeah, that was against the Jaguars in what, 2014. Uh, I think we, me and you have talked about the play Des Bryant made in that game, one of them highlight to his career just being able to take a little drag route up the field and so off the speed that you know faded at, one, at a later point in his career but the prime Des Bryant they really just made a highlight type play in London for the Cowboys to make that international game memorable since they haven't played one since you know certainly there was some buzz about them getting the Mexico City game that went to the Cardinals and 49ers instead two big fan bases down there but the Cowboys you know, would certainly do great in a game in Mexico if though if the faith you know is going to have it where that can happen down the line. But yeah, there are certain things that just because you can mess with it, you shouldn't when it comes to NFL scheduling. And you know, the Cowboys on Sunday and or Monday night type of thing just feels right. You know, Thursday Thanksgiving is one thing. If you want to put one more Thursday game in there, you know, throughout the year. Well, then you can end up in a situation like we did this past year where it was a Titans game and Tennessee fans had no reason to tune in because 
the game had nothing for them and they had their eyes set on a win and in playoff type scenario game against the Jaguars the following week. So really, if it weren't for Cowboys fans just loving their team so much and tuning into everything, that Thursday game would probably have been way at the bottom of the ratings, but Cowboys fans tune in all the time anyway. And so they made that Thursday game something out of nothing. But if you keep them to Sunday, you get the full audience, you get the America's Game of the Week, you get all these things that just belong to you know, the Sunday audience that what feels just right for the Cowboys and tradition and all that to keep Thanksgiving as your Thursday game and everything else in the Sunday-Monday window. I Even if we're talking about the Dayton Triangles, for example. <laughs> Two straight weeks of a Triangles reference. Yeah. Right? Uh, you know, I still think that it would be horrendous to have to go through something like this because of the logistics with both the traveling team and the hosting team with the traveling team. Now you got to get, you know, all the plane tickets and all this kind of stuff. And those accommodations just basically floating throughout the whole 18 game schedule. And if you're the host team, you basically, your stadium is just rented, let's say, from Thursday through, you know, Sunday, or I think they're going to try to flex Mondays too, but you see what I mean? Thursday through Monday. Yeah, what, if, what if you're a team like the Cowboys who like to use your stadium for so many different things? Well, they things. all I mean, do. They like have... in Minnesota, up at U.S. Bank oh, Stadium, they play their high school football sta- tournaments there too. Yeah. So that's what I mean is it's just such a, an albatross to even suggest to try something like this. It seems so ridiculous. That, like I'm, I almost am not convinced that I'm understanding it correctly, even though I think I am. Like the like, Just confirm this for me, if you will. Like, so they're basically saying that you can play – on Sunday and then find out on Monday pretty much that your next scheduled game that was supposed to be Sunday is now that immediate Thursday. No, it's a week behind. So at least you would have, you would know, okay, let's say it's week 11. You, the, in during week 11, they would say, okay. Hey, week 13, you're on Thursday night. So not, yeah, not as asinine and crazy as kind of, I just floated out there, but still crazy in the sense of, yeah, the amount of, logistics that both teams would have to go through to change things up in that way and, you know, prepare for a Thursday game and then start preparing for your next game on that Friday and knowing you're coming on short rest and how does that change the game plan? You know, it really just can throw a couple of different wrenches in the season's plans and the later in the year these teams get flexed, the more upset they're going to be about it, I'm sure. So we'll see how that unfolds. Yeah, it's just, you know, I understand that really successful people – which is what NFL owners are, um, have to look at every stone unturned. I get that. But this one, you'd figure they'd quickly <laughs> turn the stone back over. I mean, how we really got to flip this one over every which way and put it in the lab, really? Yeah, throw that stone in the bottom of the river somewhere and let's move on with this idea. I agree. So skip that stone across the pond and on to the next subject. Like this, with the Cowboys re-signing Jonathan Hankins, do you think that closes the door on them adding any defensive tackle depth in the draft? Well, bringing Hankins back, you know, back was one move to close that door partially, but 
I'd like to think it's reopened a bit by the way that you lost Carlos Watkins to the Arizona Cardinals. He was a player that you know, really fit Dan Quinn's system well and wasn't just that you know hand fight along the line of scrimmage defensive tackle. He really was active and got up the field and scored that touchdown against the Saints as a highlight play. So you know he was a player that certainly you don't have to necessarily prepare in the first round to replace. You know he wasn't a first round talent to begin with, but at some point, yeah, you you could look at that hole that he left and hope you have somebody ready to step in beyond just getting Jonathan Hankins back in the fold. You know, the idea that it took so long to get this deal done with Hankins was partially because of, you know, some whispers out there that, you know, at this point in his career, he just wasn't ready to fully commit to, you know, the off-season program and sewing up the camp. So that always worries me, you know, especially that position, just as far as how ready you're going to be. And, you know, typically we would look at a Quinn defense and say, well, It'll be pretty easy to tell early on if a player's not athletically ready to, to go and he has so much depth that he could just plug someone else in and go. But the Cowboys really don't have you know great depth at defensive tackle right now. They have great players that they can rely on you know for a bulk of the snaps, which is a good starting point. Also, Diggy Zua really sewed out, and you, get, you can get a lot more out of, I think, Neville Gallimore. So you have great starting points, and Hankins gets to be part of that and can really do well. But, yeah, I do think defensive tackle is something they can prioritize in the draft. It would be unlike them in a lot of ways to do so in the first round. But certainly they allocate resources to Dan Quinn. What McCarthy thinks about that is, you know, to be determined. He's always going to say the right thing about that in the media. And he might end up saying the right thing all the way up until Dan Quinn takes his job, like we've talked about. But, you know, they allocate resources to Dan Quinn. He gets what he wants. And this offseason has been one of the best examples of that in the way they've re-signed their own and gone out and made moves. So most notably, of course, trading for Stephon Gilmore at cornerback. So, you know, if Dan Quinn wants a first round defensive tackle, this team certainly would be in uncharted waters there in doing so. But if that's what he really feels like is the missing piece of this to be a championship defense, and they're all in on doing so. And I think Cowboys fans should stay familiar with the names like Maisie Smith out of Michigan or Brian Breesey out of Clemson, Jalen Carter out of Georgia. doesn't have a great chance of making it down to your 26 overall pick, but I think Smith and Breesey are two names that have been uh, floated around in mock drafts for a while here and probably aren't going to go anywhere. You know, I see Smith as that kind of one tech immediate replacement to a Carlos Watkins and, can also get up the field and penetrate a bit, which certainly helped the run defense on day one. Breezy kind of the same way, a little bit more athletic, lower center of gravity, can push into the backfield, that type of player to help open up things on their defense as well. So I still personally don't see either of those two being the pick for a number of reasons. I think just better players will be there, better positional value will be there. They feel better about what they need at offensive line or receiver or the positions in need are just more pressing. But 26, you held hostage by the first 25 picks. It's, it's going to be a long wait on draft night to see exactly what the options even are for the Cowboys. And if those defensive tackles become the best option and Dan Quinn can endorse it, you know, either candidate, if you will, then yeah, absolutely. I think defensive tackles is still in the conversation for a no stones left unturned type of offseason when it comes to put, putting this defense really over the top one step further. And the thing is, um, I saw in... Jordan Reed's seven-round mock for ESPN last week that he had Dallas taking Collegia Cansey from Pitt at 26th overall. And when I saw that, I was just like, I know this makes sense 
you know, for the draft people and all that, but the way that this organization values defensive tackle, I just can't see them ever taking one that high. I mean, you go to, like, it's not that they won't take a fifth, I mean, a defensive tackle. They did last year, fifth round, John Ridgway. It's just that historically, they don't. You got to go back to 1991 with Russell Maryland, number one overall, to go find the last time that the Cowboys took a defensive tackle in the first round. And I know that there have been some real good ones for the value throughout even the 2010s with Dallas that they've just passed up on. And it would be one thing if these draft projections were, you know, kind of hedging that bet with, oh, the Cowboys don't usually do this, but look at everything else they've done this offseason that they don't normally do. And that was the justification for why they would stick their neck out even further and go defensive tackle. If it was like, well, they don't normally also trade for a Brandon Cooks and a Stephon Gilmore and prioritize these free agents, and then we're going to keep adding to it and also have them doing something unconventional in the draft, and that's one thing. But I just don't see how those things are in this exact you know scenario of how it's going to keep piling on and force them to you know do something in the draft that they're really not just too accustomed to doing. I don't see the positional value there is really the biggest thing for me. You know, with Cansey, I think you have that player type of player in Odigi Zuer and Gallimore. He's kind of undersized, but really athletic. You know, he'll draw some Aaron Donald comps because he went to Pittsburgh type of player. Now, certainly, if you think there's any chance you, you're going to draft the next Aaron Donald at 26, you jump on it. But I don't necessarily see that player just yet in Cansey. I don't really see the full first-round talent abilities in Brian Breesey out of Clemson. Mazzy Smith, you know, doesn't fit what they look for in the first round. So the names are there. The intrigue is there. There's a lot of reasons to think that, you know, they could buck their trends and go for defensive tackle. But I would personally feel a whole lot better about an offensive lineman, receiver, maybe even a running back at that point. And that's not to, you know, sigh away from the defensive tackle position and ignore it and have it be a hole and have the 49ers end your season again because they can just run the ball right up the middle with Christian McCaffrey on you. But I would feel probably better about Bajan Robinson than a defensive tackle at this point, just to let you know what I think about this defensive tackle class in the first round. But, you know, second round, third round, all the way down to the fifth point, they did with Ridgeway again. Certainly all ears to bring in another tackle and just give Dan Quinn the most potential talent to work with up and down this defensive line. But 26 overall pick, I see a lot of better directions to be able to go. Yeah, and, and I think that that has kind of been the Cowboys' organizational philosophy under Jerry Jones because like I said you got to go back that far and even Russell Maryland you know you don't exactly hold him in the same regard as say a Warren Sapp right he's yeah the amount of defensive or dominant defensive tackles you know it's, it's hard to find even you know the Jaguars uh, you know took the Georgia kid there at the first overall pick and you know he was a little bit and we've talked about this as far as that team just not being the best at defend at developing defensive line talent, but even still, you know, it didn't work out in a way that, you know, he wasn't dominating games. Like, like you should be hearing from a first overall pick and then the Lions took Aiden Hutchinson, who was a hybrid, you know, Ed's slash defensive tackle guy. And he certainly made a lot of big splashy plays, but I don't know how many of those were from the defensive tackle position. He's again, more of that true edge rusher. So to see, so to see the Cowboys really go for just a true 
every down defensive tackle in the first round, yeah, we would all be surprised and for good reason on draft night. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know what else would be surprising is if Ezekiel Elliott were back with the Dallas Cowboys again. Jerry Jones alluded to he's going to go to the triangles. Yeah, he alluded to such a uh, you know reunion. He wouldn't shut the door on it. Uh, to me, it just reminded me of what he said about Des Bryant after they cut Des as well. And you heard that all throughout 2018. But regardless, under any circumstance, money's not an issue. Okay? Would you want Ezekiel Elliott back on the Cowboys? Again, it's not a money's not an issue. It's going to be something else like your running back depth or something like that. Would you still want Ezekiel Elliott back? Yeah, this idea is actually so crazy. I actually kind of talked myself into it. I mean... We're seeing in real time what the league thinks of Ezekiel Elliott and how the market isn't there for him. He's, you know, probably valued as that short yardage type of back right now. And, you know, just how much someone is willing to pay for that hasn't come to tuition yet just because, you know, you make an offer for him and then somebody sees him as a starter and blows it off out of the water and then you miss out on what you thought was going to be a good deal, but then it wasn't in free agency for a veteran guy at this point in his career like Ezekiel Elliott. So, you know, just kind of a hand-picked stat, but uh, Elliott last season converted 67% of his runs to a first down when the down and distance was between one and three yards. So that's, you know, again, the short yardage type of role that I think teams will still find some value in him. And just to pull, you know, another running back, I could find other examples, but just to look at, you know, a guy who was on the team that ended the season again, Christian McCaffrey with the 49ers. 55% in that same statistic. And now I'm sure if you look at overall, the 49ers are better because Kyle Sanahan has a billion and one plays to call on third and short. And there were jet sweeps to Debo Samuel and quarterback options and auto running plays. And 
you know, overall, that's what the Cowboys are going for, too, as far as not having to be tied to, you know, just handing the ball to Ezekiel Elliott in the situations where they felt like they had to last year. But, yeah, if you're telling me that at the right price, I can just still keep Tony Pollard as the lead back and make it clear that, you know, Elliott's role is going to be diminished based really on his price tag at that point because we got him back at, on at a, you know, a very valuable price and you can have that short yardage back again that gives you a chance to convert. Yeah, you can sign me up for that because, you know, I'm guilty of this right off our first segment, but I do think as a fan base, we're kind of overrating, you know, the ability of McCarthy's offense to make up for a lot of things in the passing game. He's even said it himself again this offseason, knowing the control he now has of the offense, that they still want to stay committed to the running game. You know, for all these years, we could have said, oh, that's just him appeasing the Joneses. You know, now it's really his show. They handed him the keys and he's still talking run game. So whether that's just the Joneses rubbing off on him or what he wants to really believe and do in this offense, I choose to think it's the latter and they're going to want to run the football. And so that's not to say Tony Pollard can't run between the tackles, get you to tough yards and do these types of things or that the pass the game can't be much better in short passing situations and Prescott's not just going to consistently be able to hit the tight end or hit Pollard or hit the running backs to convert those first downs that Elliott was getting. But, man, it should be nice to you know be able to just turn around and hand the ball off and know you can get a first down in those situations too. And I think that's what Elliott gives you. The stats still proved it. That's what Elliott can still give you. And if the price tag for a player that only gives you that you know kind of niche role is right, then, yeah, sign me up for – you know again, we're talking about this team through the lens of everything has to be – you know, how did I get further in the playoffs? We're, we're really trying to talk about this team this offseason as, you know, a Super Bowl contender. And just trading for Gilmore and, and Brandon Cooks is a huge step towards that, but certainly that doesn't automatically guarantee you anything at all in a division that was competitive and tough. So every move has to be looked at in terms of how can you maximize every inch of talent on this team? And, you know, do you want a, a running back that's great in short yardage to help sustain drives and keep your defense off the field so that they're rested and can go do what they do. All of those sound like a great benefit if the price tag is, you know, very specifically tailored for Elliott to only have that type of role. And so as we get weeks and further into this offseason, that's what the price tag on Elliott's going to look like. And it might just be crazy enough for the Cowboys to be that team that pays up and gets him back in the fold to compliment Tony Pollard in the exact same way that he did this past season. Well, I think that he should do like what – um, Connie did in The Godfather 2 where she went out to Lake Tahoe and told Michael I was wrong and you were right and and I hated you for years but you were right Michael and I was wrong I think, he, I think Ezekiel Elliott needs to do that and because uh, he's not it doesn't look like anybody else is really interested in his skill set but the Cowboys, I think, particularly Dak Prescott with the pass protection, and like you talked about, the assuredness of picking up dirty yards, I think he's game for that. Especially in like goal line situations. I mean, this team was not as good as we thought they could have been in red zone situations last year, and then they compounded that right in the year with some kicking issues, of course, we know with Brett Maher. So, you know, you can't blow those opportunities and be taken seriously as a contender. And so if your best scoring play down there is a turnaround, hand the ball to Elliott, and that saves hits on Tony Pollard too, you know. Like I said, and to reiterate, because it's important, not underestimating at all what Pollard can do between the tackles as an every down back. But 
if you can just, you know, the same way we talk about Parsons being the star of this defense and how do you avoid him getting, you know, banged up, having to rush the pass for every single snap and the wear and tear that he's taken by doing so. If you value Pollard in the same way, and we talked about that when it came to, you know, why they rested Pollard, uh, Pollard and not Parsons at times late in the year, and now Pollard is going to be your starter. How many hits do you want him to take? Well, someone else has to take some carries, and you know, right now they don't have a guy like Ezekiel Elliott to do that. They have Moik Davis or Rico Dowdle who can find a role somewhere to Elliott's, but they don't have, you know, Ezekiel Elliott. They're okay with that, of course, It's and it was their decision to do so, but if it comes back around where you could just add Elliott and have even more depth and running back and give Pollard even more chances to stay for us and do what he does as your lead back, then that all sounds, you know, beneficial to how this offense wants to continue to play, where it's going to be a lot of short passes and extensions of the run game, but there is no true substitute for an actual running game. And the one-two punch of Pollard and Elliott certainly did work well in the final year of Keller Moore's offense, and I certainly think it could work in Mike McCarthy's offense. When you talked about the Cowboys in the red zone, um, yeah, they they actually were the best in the league at red zone conversion, 71.4%. Um, but their red zone touchdowns were tied for the third most with Philadelphia and Minnesota. Yet somehow Detroit had 45, and then the Chiefs had 50. just feels like those are the teams that have, you know, a clear plan down there that works. Like, even with the Cowboys finding a way to put up numbers, it was a lot of just, you know, Prescott bailing you out, though. It was a lot of, you know, him having to escape the pocket and do it all by himself or, you know, somebody make you a great catch in coverage as opposed to, like, oh, we scored here in the red zone because we had a play to put the defense in a bind and popped a guy wide open like Travis Kelsey always seems to be for the Chiefs. So, you know, Jared Goff was able to take advantage of their with the iron. So that's where I think there's some room for, room for improvement in the red zone for this team's offense. Well, they better get to improving then. All right, let's go ahead and get to some Cowboys birthdays on Tuesday. Jack Del Rio, yeah, that Jack Del Rio. <laughs> he actually was linebacker. For the Cowboys, from 89 to 91, he turned 60 years old. On Friday, Tony Dorsett turned 69 years old. He played with Dallas from 1977 to 1987. And like Ezekiel Elliott and Emmitt Smith, he had to finish his NFL career in another uh, city. He actually played with the Denver Broncos in 1988. Go look at those on the Google images sometime on Friday, Kevin Smith cornerback for the Cowboys from 92 to 99 on Friday. He turns 52 years old and his Achilles tear in week one, Monday night football, 1995 when Dallas trounced the giants 35 to nothing. Uh, his Achilles tear in that game really just increased the bargaining value for Deion Sanders, and uh, that who was still a free agent at that time, but that was really critical in helping the Cowboys eventually bring Deion to Dallas. And then on Saturday, CeeDee Lamb turns 24 years old, 24 years old for a two-time Pro Bowl receiver like that, and those are your Cowboys' birthdays. It's always crazy in any sport. Like uh, This happens in baseball, too. Uh, um, I remember 
Rafael Devers with the Red Sox, like when they were playing in the World Series a couple of years ago, his age popped up and we were the same age. And I'm like, well, damn, something must be wrong. Like, you know, I'm sitting here just watching the game, like eating a snack. And, you know, this guy's starting for a team that was dominant and went to the World Series. So, you know, things like that to hear that CDL, I am 24, I'm 27. Like, these athletes are doing something right. <laughs> to say the least, like just we, we take that for granted to, to know that you know just how young some of these players are and what we ask of them and expectation wise, you know, we want them to be mature beyond their age and just do everything right and handle the fame and fortune and roughness of an NFL season which I am has done well regardless, but yeah, to hear, you know, him just turning twenty four the year after proving that he undoubtedly can be a number one receiver, which is a big question coming into the year. Certainly a great sign to see uh, what his future is going to hold here with the Cowboys. Yeah, I mean, if I were 24 years old, I mean, and, and I had all that money, you know, I'd probably go broke trying to fix everyone's lives, you know. Right. And if I were 24 years old and I had all that attention and somebody, you know, looked at me the wrong way or something, I might get a little mad at them, you know? And some of that's just part of the unfairness, I think, for the average fan when they look at these guys is, remember what a knucklehead you were? And <laughs> I wasn't even like that, but just remember what a knucklehead you were when you were in your early 20s? Yeah, throw in a little millions of dollars and influence, perceived or otherwise, and uh, let's see how you would have handled all that so maturely. And the other note on the Tony Dorsett 99-yard touchdown run, I'm sure you notice, and most Cowboys fans do, but I'll never get over the fact that he did so with the initial play, the ball being snapped with only 10 guys on the field, and that, of course, includes the quarterback who really just turns around, hands the ball off, and then does nothing, so... It was him and nine blockers, and he went 99 yards. So I think that's a fact that Cowboys fans know pretty well, but definitely makes the play even more amazing. Here's what makes that amazing. All of what you just said is they still lost the game. <laughs> I didn't realize. I didn't actually remember that, but I'm imagining that it was against the Vikings, right? I'm imagining that Vikings fans would remind Cowboys fans at every turn about that, much like the modern version must be Cowboys fans. And I do this, you know, Honestly, but Cowboys fans reminding Giants fans that they lost the Odell Cats game, which I love to do. And 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 that could be a discussion uh, later when we have that episode where we compare the Cowboys to uh, microwavable kettle corn. But just basically <laughs> how um, you know there there's a lot of moments out there that happen in games with losses and how do you treat that what's your favorite movie theater snack uh, i like to get the big buttery popcorn and m&ms solid very solid picks here. you got to start out you know your first of all pick has to be the popcorn or your draft board is just messed up at that point uh, m&ms is a solid choice i used to get like cause i'm convinced you can probably only find these in movie theaters but like the crunch bar type thing but they were in like a bite uh candy i don't know if you can ever find those outside of movie theaters yeah i know what you're talking about they're like a smaller you know more manipulative 
um, crunch bar. Yeah, it's like something out of like the Jimmy Neutron like candy that they made in that show. But it's like a little M&M bite, but with a crunch bar. Those are amazing. So if, if the feeder I went to had those, I would go for those because you can't really find those elsewhere. Get your popcorn and something to drink. The one by me here in Texas has a uh, uh, they have alcohol in the in the feeder that they serve. So I think that's a trend that other states have caught on to as well. But the idea that you can get like a frozen margarita or a beer and go watch a movie is pretty awesome. I still don't go very often, but I did see Top Gun feeders like most of us did a while back and had a beer during that. So that was a cool experience to uh, say that I could do that because certainly you can't get any alcohol in a New Jersey-based movie feeder. But yeah, here in Texas to uh, have a beer and Top Gun, that was cool. Last movie I saw was in theaters was Jurassic World Dominion. Um, Oh, I saw that too. It was so disappointing. Yeah. It, uh, I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but um, it just had it's kind of emblematic of really the Cowboys in terms of a lot of callbacks <laughs> to the '90s and uh, the happy times of childhood. But uh, right when it came time to punch it in, you know, instead Christian McCaffrey's running it up your gut. Yeah, you know. Like you said, I'm not as probably, I guess, a big enough fan of the entire Jurassic Park series to appreciate some of the nuances that might have been in that movie without me noticing. But yeah, the one prior to it, I saw too, I think, though, and that one I enjoyed without knowing, you know, all the context going into that one. But in this most recent one, yeah, definitely disappointing, just like the end to these most recent Cowboy seasons. So we hope to turn it around and mark it with a better Jurassic Park movie or just maybe a better action movie in general because this Oppenheimer movie coming out looks pretty good so I'll probably try to see that one in theaters too alright well we better get out of here and not talk about movies otherwise RJ's going to flex us to Thursday night you've been listening to the Hidden Yardage podcast follow Sean at Sean Martin NFL follow myself at the real Mark Lane subscribe to us on Spotify Apple TuneIn and Stitcher so there it is Rock and Pork Corner